Welcome to Canta Conversations, party people. I am Candia Johnson. I hope you all are well. You know, negotiating and making the ask for more money are common challenges for many women, myself included. Many of us have left money on the table either during a job interview or during a business deal. We've left money on the table simply because we didn't ask or we didn't do our research or we didn't understand how to communicate our value. Or once someone said no, we thought the conversation was over. Then on top of this challenge, there are systemic pay inequities for women, particularly for black women. So when you think about the fact that women overall in the United States earn about 80 cents for each dollar paid to men, black women get 61 cents for every $1 that their white male counterparts are paid. And so when you think about it this way, think about a woman over the course of her 40-year career, that would mean she earns about $946,000 less than her white male counterparts. So while I do understand that there are many factors that could play into this wage gap, systemic bias, racism. I also believe part of the solution lies in improving our negotiating skills and improving and being prepared to make the ask. You know, and ultimately, I'm going to keep it all the way 100. I'd love for us to remove the mystery around money and to have more transparent conversations about uh, the numbers around our business deals or our salaries, because I do believe that that would alleviate or help some of us who struggle with trying to figure out what the dollar amount that we should ask for. So when someone says no, now what? How do you respond? Should you walk away at a no? How do you explain the value you bring to the table? Because the reality is value is subjective. So one of my favorite things to say is everyone always says, you know, I'm ready for my seat at the table, but are you prepared to speak up for yourself when you get there? So today's guest, Jacqueline Twille, is helping us prepare for our moment at the negotiating table. Jacqueline is a leadership negotiation strategist and the founder of Zero Gap, a training and development firm. And she's also the author of Don't Leave Money on the Table, Negotiation Strategies for Women Leaders in Male-Dominated Industries. Most importantly, she's a no-fluff kind of girl on a mission to eliminate the gender wage gap. So I'm going to tell y'all something. You may want to pause this audio clip right now and get your pen and your paper out because Jacqueline is dropping gems on everything from books to power phrases and formulas to help you confidently speak up and communicate your value and get paid what you're worth. Y'all listen and let me know what you think. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you, Candia. I am so excited to talk to you. This topic will get me fired up and I could talk about it for days. So, Thank you for bringing awareness to this issue. You are very welcome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What is the work that you are most proud of? What makes you feel most alive? 
So what makes me feel most alive, real talk, is being an auntie. So that's where it starts for me. My life's mission is to eliminate the gender wage gap. And I do that in two ways. I teach women how to negotiate and I help companies to support their women within male-dominated industries to advance in leadership. So that's about me and what keeps me going uh, spiritually, being prayed up, meditating, and then physically, I love me some coffee. So a lavender latte is what gets me through. I love it. And Jacqueline has this latte method uh, for negotiating, and I can't wait for us to discuss that. I'm also a very proud auntie, um, so I we relate on that level. And one of the other reasons why... Uh, I wanted Jacqueline to talk talk to us today. It's because she has this awesome book out, Don't Leave Money on the Table, Negotiation Strategies for Women Leaders in Male-Dominated Industries. And she also has a workbook. And again, I'm a no-fluff kind of girl. So take us through the moments that led you to write this book. What were you seeing in the industry, Jacqueline, that said, I need to put a book out so that women could be prepared for their moment at the table? Yes. So my first book is Navigating the Career Jungle. And that came out about five years ago. It was a bestseller instantly. And it took me six months to write that book. I never dreamed of writing a book prior to that. However, with Don't Leave Money on the Table negotiation strategies, it was a completely different process. And what happened was I have been doing the work with women and negotiating one-on-one for many years, and I've seen tremendous success. I've had clients double their salaries. I've had clients go into uh, the six-figure earning club for the very first time, and I've had other women who were timid but just asked for a little bit and still got $1,500 additional. So what I wanted to do when I wrote this book was I wanted to amplify that type of impact. If I'm doing this one-on-one with women, I wanted to give women all over the tools, the technique, and the strategy to be able to apply this to their own circumstances to be able to increase their earnings. Right. Right. I love that. I was reading, as I was preparing the outline for this podcast, um, I read that women who do not negotiate their first offer can lose up to $500,000 over the course of their career. And I know for many women, we often is, you know, just accept the first offer. Would that be true? Yes. So that research came from Sarah Babcock and Linda Lassiter. So there's a book that they wrote called Women Don't Ask, which is just a phenomenal book in terms of any woman looking to increase her professional development. So what we see is the reason why that number is so wide and so large is because When you don't negotiate, starting with your first job offer, you lose a lot of compound interest, one, because any money you would save, put in your 401k, all of that money, that compounds over time. So that's one aspect of that 500,000. The other aspect of, if you think about every time you get a raise, it's typically a percentage. Anytime you get a bonus, it's typically a percentage of your base. So if you don't negotiate that base salary, it impacts your financial health in so many ways. So honestly, most women that I've worked with, including myself, before I got serious into negotiation, I had the frame of mind, 
Oh, I'm just so thankful they gave me a job. And eventually, in my head, I was like, eventually, I will earn the money that I want. And so, but I had no technique, no strategy, and no tools, which is where the books come in. He's helping women to put language around it because I have this shirt and this saying, now I know my value. But I'm very hesitant to share that with people who don't know the foundation of negotiating because you can't roll up to an employer and be like, nah, I know my value. I need 40K more. Boo. Based on what? That is not the market rate, honey. You are going to find yourself unemployed. So that's why I give you the book and the workbook as tools to help you understand how to have the conversation. I love it. Stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. That's a Smith quote that I love. That so, you part. know, a lot of people use know your value, know your worth interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Do you believe, is there a difference in your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would so, be the difference for you? So, so glad you asked that. When I start the book, Don't Leave Money on the Table, I talk about your value and I talk about the market rate, Right. What does the market pay for a graphic designer in Jacksonville, Florida? And what does a graphic designer, same company, earn in San Diego, California? They're different rates because the market bears differently. So the value of the work that you're providing, it has a monetary value based on the market circumstance. Now, there are other caveats included in that. We can get into that later. The other part is the worth part, right? And the worth is how are you delivering the value and how are you articulating the value you add? And do you even know that this is an exchange of value? They're giving you a monetary amount in exchange for this problem that you're solving for them. And then there's another third loop, and that is your values, okay? Your core values, What do you believe in? What do you stand for? What is important to you? What will you not stand for? And in this climate that we live in, where so many companies are saying we support Black lives and we support Black people, that is a value. So when you say, I know my value, you know, I know what the market rate is. I'm educated on this dollar amount. I know what type of problems I can solve for your company. And as an individual, as a woman, I know that me being in your company helps you be diverse, which means you're going to think of things, look and think about problems differently, which is going to increase your earnings. So I know my value. That's that part. Now I know my worth. Then you look at your worth and you say, I know for sure I don't come in and spend 45 minutes searching Facebook before I start working. And I know that if there is a problem, I am going to be dedicated and I'm going to get the job done. And I'm going to stay until this project is finished or I'm going to stay logged on until I get this done. So when you put those together, then you're able to say, I know my value and I know my worth. And they are used interchangeably because they are so closely related. But you have to get to the nitty gritty and break every aspect down. And to be honest, this takes some women decades to do. Sometimes you got to go to therapy to get this work done to understand your worth and your value. Thank you so much for talking us through that journey. You know, one of the things, too, I found just and advancing in my career is it truly does take a village. It takes a village to prepare for that moment 
when you get to the table and you want to negotiate, and another thing I'm glad that you spotlighted was just the amount of prep work that's required for you to have that conversation. Even looking at myself, you know, I would just go and ex- expect the fact that they were going to quote me an offer and it was going to be in good faith, right? For the first mm-hmm. five years of my career. And I didn't really think about it being a value exchange. I didn't think about uh, even my core values. I really just placed it on like, you know, I could help this this company or this really, th- this company was helping me, <laughs> right? Not really standing in my truth that I was actually solving a problem for them. And so when you think about in your experience, what are the mindsets? Because I'm always about mindset and method. What do you believe are the mindsets of women who don't kind of push and make the ask or even prepare for that moment? Yeah, so this brings me to two books that were really pivotal in my life. One is Secrets of Six-Figure Women by Barbara Stanny. And this isn't a, a get-rich-quick book. This is a mindset book. She talks about under-earners and over-earners. And she talks about their mindsets. And she's done workshops all over the country. And what she did was she categorized the women who attended her workshops. How did the women think who were under-earners? And how did the women think who were over earners. Now I'm going to pair that with this other book that I love, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. And in Carol's book, she talks about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. So a fixed mindset, you're like, oh, this sucks, but I'm going to just do what I got to do. You know, if it ain't one thing, it's another. And then in the growth mindset, it's more of, you know what? Let me make the best of this. Let me take these lemons and make some lemonade. So you get to see the difference in the mindset. So when it comes to women and earning, knowing your value, being able to advocate for yourself in the workplace, it comes down to this. Who do you think you are? Now, when you ask most women, who are you? They're going to tell you, well, I'm a sister or I'm a mother or I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, blah, 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 blah. But if you really get to the core of who are you? then you have a different conversation, right? Mindset wise in terms of, you know, I'm a problem solver. I am a community builder. I'm a communicator. I'm someone who spreads love. I walk in abundance. So there's this difference of when you get to the root of who you are, there's always underlying work with mindset. But let me flip this and bring it back to negotiation on a very practical level. If you say, if someone comes to me and says, oh, Jacqueline, I would love to negotiate, but you know, at my company, we don't negotiate. Girl, I can't help you, period, point blank. Your mindset says, no matter what I teach you, you have already made up your mind, you can't. Now, if someone comes to me and says, listen, I wanna negotiate, they said I can't, but I don't know. I can work with her. Because she knows that there's something out there that could be possible. And I tell everyone this. Negotiation is a conversation. It is not a battle. So when you want something, all you have to do is ask. And if the answer is no, then guess what? 
there are always an exception that's been made. All you got to do is say, have any exceptions ever been made? So inside of the negotiation workbook, I use power phrases. I have it in the book as well as in the workbook, some sample phrases to use to help you to navigate through that part of the conversation. I love. So now let's talk about this latte framework. <laughs> another, yes, as another, I'm sipping my latte. Yes, as you're sipping your latte. Another uh, uh, no fluff technique that I absolutely <laughs> love. Um, now I know that that framework is in your book, but can you just talk us through how that uh, framework could help someone prepare for a no or respond to a no, I should say. Yeah, so 80% of the negotiation happens in the preparation. Half of what's going to go down in that negotiation depends on how well you prepared. So I have a rule of thumb. For every $10,000 that's on the table, you spend at least one hour preparing. Now, you may think that's overkill, but I guarantee you the only way you know between a good deal and a great deal is if you've done your prep. All right. So you can never wing it or shoot from the hip. With that being said, the way that you use this latte framework is similar to how a pilot uses a pre-flight checklist. So if a pilot has 16 years experience and they've flown three times that day, that fourth time that they get ready to take off, them and their co-pilot, they will go through a pre-flight checklist. And the reason why is they want to ensure the smoothest flight possible. So every time you negotiate, you have to go through your own checklist, which is why I created LATTE. LATTE is something we know it's easy to remember. So that acronym is L, look at the details, A, anticipate the challenges, T, think about your walkaway point, the second T, talk it through, and E, evaluate the options. So if you do that, every single time you go into a negotiation, you're going to set yourself up for success. Now, for some, you won't need to spend as much time in latte, and in others, you're going to need to spend hours, maybe days, maybe weeks, depending on how much money is on the table. But that framework expands and it contracts based on the dollar amount. Okay, that makes sense. So let's talk about more about the pushback. Because I know a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to um, one of my mentees and she was talking about, you know, considering the timing, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. Uh, I think there is about a gazillion people. I think it was the last time I checked, it was 22 million people who have filed for unemployment and all those sorts of things. Should a person take that into consideration when they are having a discussion? Should they let that deter them from even making the ask or wanting to uh, uh, have a discussion about what they feel like they should be paid at the moment? Such another good question, right? So here's the deal. We're going to go back to mindset. At the beginning of this pandemic, I made a decision that I was going to come out of the pandemic better than I went in, okay? So if you take that same train of thought, that same flow of mindset and say, yes, even though this is a pandemic, even though there are millions and millions of people out of work, I still need to earn the market rate and I still need to earn based on the value that I add. Yes, it is worth negotiating. Now, 
Does this mean that you're going to get all the money you want? Maybe, maybe not. But the key in negotiation is it's not just about dollars. It is about all of those things that help you add value. And in the book, I tell you, I have two full pages of things to ask for besides money, right? So that's where you really pull in those other elements. When it comes to the pushback, though, it's about how you're anchoring that conversation, how you're framing what you work what you are worth. Now, when we have a down economy, we know budgets get tight. We can look around. People are not shopping the way that they used to. So naturally, there is going to be some tightening of the purse strings. Okay, so keep that in mind. Timing does matter. At the same time, if companies are cutting back and they're keeping certain people are, they're going to hire you. You need to be able to go in and say, you know what? This is my area of expertise. This is what I do well. I can also do this, this, and this. To maximize the value that you add to them, which means you in turn get to ask for an appropriate amount of value back. Whether that's going to be an extra week of vacation because they don't have cash, maybe you can get that extra week. Maybe you can get them to pay for professional development on your behalf. Maybe that was something that was already negotiated. And the list goes on and on those things that are inside of the book, the two pages of things to ask for besides money. You can absolutely do it. And I'll just tell you this quick story. I had a client, I've worked with her for years now. She just recently made a job shift and she was nervous because of the pandemic. She was like, Jacqueline, I got this offer. Here's the deal. I'm going to close on a house in a week. So do I need to stay at this job? so that my house can get through or can I go ahead and accept this job and um, the problem is I cannot afford for them to come in with a low ball offer because I need to be earning at least the same but really the work that she was doing was a step up so I talked her through it. I told her, here's wham, bam, bam. This is the strategy. But I also told her to make sure she inquired about the signing bonus. So she was nervous. She was kicking and screaming. She was like, you don't hear me. I need to make sure I just make the same amount so I can get this house. And I'm like, you don't hear me. The value that you're bringing is this. You cannot go in selling yourself short. So let me give you the conclusion of the story. She ended up getting the higher base. And she got a 5K signing bonus. So when she furnished her house, she sent me this uh, picture of her living room. And so I don't know if you're a restoration hardware junkie like I am. Yes, definitely. But she got a piece from restoration hardware. And I was like, girl, when this is over, you are cooking me a meal. I'm coming over and eating on that restoration hardware table, honey, because I helped you get that. But that just goes to show mindset, right? Even in the midst of a pandemic, not only did she get a higher base salary, she also got a signing bonus that helps her furnish her new home. I love it. So a couple of things that I want to talk about, because let's just build on on, on the story you just told. Oftentimes, of course, when we go into um, a discussion, we're thinking about our personal needs. Like she was, I'm, you know, I'm about to buy a house or I need a car or I want to move or I want to take a vacation. Should we bring those sorts of things into the negotiation discussion? Like I'm trying to buy a house. I need more money. What is it that we should avoid when it comes to being at the table and talking Mm -hmm. about our value and our values and things of that sort? 
Should we bring those things up? What should we really avoid? We should not bring those things up because they don't care and they don't have a hill of beans to do with their budgets. What will move those budgets, what will move them to give you a signing bonus is the value that you add. So I don't care if you just got divorced, if you're expecting a child, those are those are major life moments that are important. I don't want to negate how important those things are. At the same time, it doesn't matter to the company. What matters to the person you're negotiating with, because they may have to go back and sell this to somebody else to get it approved, is you know she's going to come in and she can do this and this. You know she did this for XYZ company. You know she got this experience and you know we need that. That is what you have to center your conversation around. So all of those things you talked about in your interview where they said, oh, we need someone to do this, and you shared a story of how you can do that or how you've done it before, those are the things you bring back up in the negotiation. So yeah, in the back of your mind, you have that child in the back of your mind. You got that vacation, the new house, the car, whatever it is. All of that's back there, but that's not relevant to the conversation because this conversation is based on an exchange of value. I love it. You know, another thing that I've realized, like communication styles, people have different ways in which they negotiate and exchange either services, you know, jobs, things of that sort. And you highlight uh, the different types of negotiating styles that we should be aware of. What's the benefit to that? I would love for you to elaborate on that. Yes. Thank you for highlighting this too. Um, So we all communicate differently, right? So if you think about your love language, uh, for those people who are love language folks, or you think about your Enneagram style, your Myers-Briggs style, we understand the relevance of that because we want to be effective communicators. Negotiation is communication, right? And so when you understand your negotiation style and you study these styles and you're able to understand someone else's negotiation style as well, it helps you to shift the way that you communicate so that you're not talking over someone's head or you're not talking past what they understand. You're speaking their language. You're meeting them where they're at. This makes you a stronger leader, period, but it also helps you to walk away from that conversation with the other person saying, I like working with her because you knew how to speak to them. How many times in our lives have we said, I would have done it if they would have talked to me a little bit different? There's a different way to say this. Now, I know I've said that plenty of times. If someone would have came at me in a different way, hit me with a different angle, I would have bent over backwards for them. But because you came at me sideways, I'm good, love. Figure it out on your own. So the same thing applies to negotiation. And my mom used to tell me all the time, because I can be real clapbackish when I want to be. My mom used to tell me from when I was like a teenager, you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. And basically, when it, means, when it comes to communication, I don't want to give someone the roughest version of me. I may need to give them the roughest version of me depending on the context, but I might need to hit them with the other angle, my other communication skills. And so this is just about evolving as a leader and as a woman to be able to meet people where they are. I love that. Your mom is a total rock star for 
giving you the gems very early on. What, you know, energy, I can't say this enough, I, you know, people buy into the energy of your presence before they buy into the power of your words. Mm-hmm. And so equally important to kind of like practicing and preparing for your moment is also preparing your energy <laughs> yes. for that moment as well. And so when you are talking about those negotiation styles and preparing, what ways do you, or what tools do you, um, or routine should people adopt to kind of prepare? Yeah. So inside of the book, when I break down latte and I tell you to look at the details, I give you so many tools to use, right? Whether that's a salary uh, calculator online, tapping into your professional network, which is the most underrated part of negotiating is networking. People think networking is just to get something from other people, uh, meaning like a job or something like that. But let me tell you, myself and my clients, I'm telling them constantly, tap into your network when you start negotiating because your network has information, right? And information is power. The more you know, the better informed decisions you can make. I once had a client who was negotiating a deal. And I said, Hey, I noticed your LinkedIn, you're connected to such and such who used to work at this company, give them a quick call and ask them if there's anything you should be aware of as you're in the middle of negotiation. And so that person was like, Oh yeah. The the person who's no longer at the company asks about the, um, the country club membership and Country club membership had nothing to do with her job. And she was like, I can't answer that. I was like, well, just ask about it. Say, let them know, hey, I heard that there is a country club membership that comes, but I didn't see that in my offer. And so lo and behold, she got a country club membership just because she found out from someone in her network that that was typical. They only gave it to the people who asked for it, right? So now she, well, pre-COVID, could go and chill and relax and enjoy the benefits of that country club. So that's one tool. I just want to highlight the power of your network. But beyond that, you know, one, my book is a resource, but some other resources to help you prepare is looking at a person's LinkedIn profile. So inside of the book, I mentioned this tool called Meet Crystal. It's an AI-driven personality platform. You got to pay for premium to really maximize the benefits. It's worth it. It's an investment in yourself. And so what it does is it analyzes how a person writes online. And based on how that person writes online, it'll tell you this is their Enneagram style or Myers-Briggs, et cetera, et cetera. That helps you understand how to communicate more effectively with that person. And then I mentioned to you uh, the online calculator, salary.com, payscale.com. And then on a very practical level, what you need to do is have a notebook and a piece of paper because you need to strategize. Don't keep it all in your head. you got to write down your negotiation strategy, whether it's electronic or pen and paper. And then the other tool is something we all have, and that's a cell phone. Inside of Latte, I tell people to talk it through. It's the third step in the Latte framework. I want you to practice what you're going to say out loud, and you need to play it back. Because if you've never said your salary expectation is $110,000, then you think in your head you sound like I do. But in reality, you sound like this. Mm -hmm. You know, 
$10,000. Now, if you sound like that, ain't nobody going to give it to you. Sorry, sis, you just blew it. And so what you have to do is you have to use your cell phone, practice saying it out loud, listen to yourself. I know most people don't like listening to their voice. Throw me in that basket. But guess what? When you do it, you set yourself up for success because you get to work out all of those kinks. Right. I I love that. And you're right. Particularly, I find this with women. We don't like to hear ourselves. And Mm -hmm. for me, I have an audio to text feature in my phone. And I always give that advice. Use that audio to text feature to practice and prepare for your moment and then email it to yourself because then you could take out all of the language or, you know, words that make you appear less confident and keep practicing over and over again. You're absolutely right. People are sizing you up if you're laughing or kind of saying, well, I don't know. And I don't think so. So that's an awesome tip. Yes. So when let's, let's talk about the money part. Who should be the first to initiate Mm -hmm. the pay range or budget allotted for a position? So there is a big myth that the person who speaks first loses. That is a myth. Not true. And I want to prove it in some very practical ways. When a person is selling a house, they put a price on it. Does it mean they lose? Absolutely not. That is just a starting place. When you're going to buy a car, there is a sticker price. Does the car dealership lose? Absolutely not. That is just a starting place. In negotiation, there is a technical term called anchoring. And anchoring is the place where you start. So to answer your question, who should throw out the first number? It doesn't matter who throws out the first number. What matters is, is that you are prepared and you know what the market rate is. You don't want to fall for the okie doke. Remember, I just said 80% of your negotiation is in the prep. So the other person can say, oh, for this role, we pay $150,000 annually. Well, if you've done your research, you can say, yeah, no, that is in the range. And I was expecting to be more along the top end of that range. So I'm thinking that based on the value I add, I should be around that 180 mark, the higher end of that range because of X, Y, Z, drop in value that I add. So notice the theme here keeps coming back to your value. You have got to, before you start a negotiation, be clear on the value that you add because that drives every aspect. It's not just about the dollars because if you get caught in the dollars, you're distracted. The negotiation is not about the dollar amount. It is about the exchange of value and you have to keep bringing the conversation to that point. So in the case that the recruiter asks you up front, hey, how much do you want to earn? You can tell them, And I use this line in the book and I tell you to use this line and remix it. The market rate is X, Y, Z, and I expect to earn along the lines of the market rate. Okay. If someone hits you and they say, how much do you make now? Or how much did you make in your last position? Then again, the conversation is about the market rate. In some states, it is illegal for the employers to ask you your salary history. Now, I know we're talking about this because Black Women's Equal Pay Day is here, and there's some exciting research that's coming out of Boston that said that in cities where, in states where the salary history question has been banned by law, it has been very advantageous for Black women and Black men 
because we know for a fact that black men and black women do not earn the same as their counterparts, right? Their white Hispanic male counterparts. So what this has done is it's leveled the playing field. It gives companies an unfair advantage to know that you have been underpaid. We know we've been underpaid historically. We know we've been underpaid even in 2020. So by eliminating that element, it really helps you to really hone in on the market rate. So if your state isn't one that bans the salary history question, you really need to prepare speaking about the market rate. And the only way you do that is if you do your preparation. Going back to one hour per $10,000 on the table. So if this is a difference between $6,000 and $20,000 in the difference of what you earn, it is so worth you spending five or six hours preparing, digging and getting all of this information. So that's just to debunk the myth that the first person who talks loses and to reemphasize the importance of preparing for the conversation because anybody can throw out any number. The important thing is to be able to say, is that number anchored in reality or not? Okay, I love it. Now, when we're talking about no and then uh, the other person, let's say the employer saying, no, that's kind of out of range. What type of uh, kind of, what should we say? How do you prepare for the pushback? Is it, because I always tell people like sometimes no means not right now. So I'll check with you again in six months. <laughs> so yeah. what types of um, kind of conversation starters could we mm-hmm. also uh, bring up to the table to kind of move in a different direction or should we just totally walk away? Yes. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm pulling from the negotiation workbook here some examples, but I also want to emphasize inside of the latte method, um, number three, think about your walk away point. You have to be willing to walk away, period, point blank. If you are not willing to walk away, you've already lost. Right. I don't care how bad you want it. I don't even care if this is your dream job. In that case, you really need to be able to walk away so you can stand firm in your value, because when you think you don't have any other options, you blow in it. Harvard Business Review did a research project a few years ago. And what they found is that people who imagined that they had an alternative offer fared far better than those who thought there was no alternative. So even if in your mind, you may believe that there's another offer out there, it's going to set you up for greater success. Now, to your question, what are some phrases? So one of the things you can say is, I understand. Have have any exceptions ever been made? Right. And then you just zip it and wait for them to respond. That's my favorite because people will typically say no. But if you sit in silence for two or three seconds, then they'll be like, well, there's one time. Then the other one is uh, thank you for letting me know. Do you think an exception can be made in this case? Because, again, you're talking about the value that you add. So another thing that you can say is, okay, what can we do to make this happen to get me closer to the market rate? So I have pages and pages of these sample scripts and places for you to remix it and add in your own vocabulary so that it sounds natural to the way that you speak. But those are just a few, those are from the negotiation workbook, a few phrases that you can begin to start incorporating into your negotiation style so that if you do get pushback, 
you're able to move beyond it. But let's say they tell you flat out, no, ain't nothing we can do. We never made an exception. We ain't about to. If they say something like that and you know what your walk away point is, graciously say thanks so much. I was really eager to come on board, but unfortunately, I can't move forward at this time. And leave it there. Don't continue to explain. Do not get personal because I got to pay for my kid to go to private school because I got to da 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 Because not, all of that's unnecessary. So thank them. Leave it professional. I have had so many clients say they walked away and then boom, a few months later, sometimes a month later, sometimes six months later, that company comes back and they got a better, brand new, dropping everything type of offer. And guess what? They're going to treat you differently when you start because they know you know your value. That's where now I know my value actually comes from is standing in your success and knowing your value to a point where you say, I won't settle. I know what I bring to the table. I, I mean, you dropped so many gems. One of the things, one of the, the best gems that, I, that, that you dropped very early on was be prepared for the silence. Be prepared for the silence. And I think oftentimes when we're having a conversation and we pose a question and someone is silent, the person may say, oh gosh, I blew it. Well, it's okay. But I like that you said, be silent and kind of wait (laughs) for them to think about that. And for me, I know even for myself and for women, uh, some of my clients, the fear has been, oh, they probably think I'm so aggressive, I'm being pushy, and things of that sort. So you start to build this story in your head, and then you back out and discount yourself before the person even has a chance to respond. Mm-hmm. We, we do that to ourselves too much. And if you think about it, it annoys us too. If you go to a store, back when we went to stores, uh, and you ask someone for help, and they start to help you, and you got it, and you're ready to check out, and they keep talking, and it has this feature, and it has this whistle, you're like, Psh, I'm going to just order online, right? It ha- we can do the same things to ourselves, and that's because we get nervous. But that goes back to a lack of preparation. Because if you follow latte to a T, you have anticipated those challenges. You've anticipated them saying something. You know what you're going to say in response. And then you flow more confidently. You just, you let it play out because you already thought through all of this. So you just kind of like sitting back like, okay. And you're smiling internally because you got your ish together. And that's what I want people to really take away from latte. No more do we have to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. What if they say this? Latte, when you follow that framework, the way that I've written it, I know it's created tremendous success for women, not just salary deals, business deals as well. And if you do that, you are set to be unstoppable. There you have it. Listen, party people, preparation breeds confidence, okay? You want to get prepared today. You need the Don't Leave Money on the Table book and you need the workbook. And what is the, what, what's the metric again for every $10,000 that's one hour of prepara- preparation? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I can't say enough how thankful and appreciative I am for you being here, Jacqueline. Um, and, I, and I also have to plug, I love, love, love your YouTube 
channel that you have. I know you have a, a podcast, but I really love the YouTube channel. And I said this before we even started uh, the podcast. You're so actionable. Like, I feel like people can land on your content and do what they need to do in the real workplace or even in a business deal. And for that, I am incredibly thankful for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'll have one thing for your listeners. Don't take this information. If it resonates with you, don't keep it to yourself. Teach it to somebody you mentor. The, if we can get this message to girls when they are young, honey, let me tell you, we will change this entire world, split it, spin it and flip it upside down. Because when girls know that they don't have to settle and they don't have to wait until they're spoken to, they don't have to raise their hand in order to present their request, then it is going to change our whole lives. So thank you for that feedback on the YouTube channel too, because I appreciate that. You are very welcome. Now beyond the book and beyond the YouTube channel, how can people work with you and where can they find you? Yes. So I'm all over the internet at Jacqueline Twilly. Uh, There's two ways to work with me. We have a monthly group coaching program. It is the Resilient Leaders Program. And then for companies who want to support the women who work within their organization, we do virtual trainings. We have suspended all in-person things like everybody else trying to be safe. Uh, But we have virtual trainings and you can find those at zerogap.co. And if you're interested in the Resilient Leaders Program, that monthly group coaching, you can find that at JacquelineSwilly.com. There you have it, everyone. Jacqueline, you rock. Thank you so much for being on Cancer Conversations today. Thank you for having me. Keep doing this podcast. Your work is phenomenal. Thank you.